0: Hello and welcome to the next in the series of studies in John's Gospel. I don't know if you use the word glory very often. If you do, you probably mean triumphant, victorious, um, that you've defeated someone with great splendor and courage and skill. Maybe use it of your football team. They're they're glory, glory, Man United. It was a glorious win. Maybe you think of a nation glorious in battle. Maybe you think of our queen, uh, happy and glorious. It's the idea that a person's value and esteem comes from who they have defeated, who they have conquered. Now, Jesus is going to talk about his glory and uh, we're going to see how that compares with our use of the word glory. We're picking it up in John chapter 12 where we're following on from what's called the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's not very triumphal. It's not triumphal for two reasons. Firstly, because the people who lord him and welcome him as the Messiah turn against him within a few days and cry out for Barabbas and Jesus is crucified. It's also not, also not very triumphant because he comes riding in on the equivalent of a moped, a donkey. He's not on a stallion, not on a chariot. Anyway, we have uh, following on from that event at the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. And we read these words after they have come into Jerusalem at this moment. John 12:16. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. The why he was on a donkey, what it meant that people were turning for him and then against him. But only after Jesus was glorified, John twelve sixteen, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him only after Jesus had been glorified. In other words, there was something going to happen that hadn't yet happened, which was the glorification of Jesus that would make everything, uh, make sense of everything, make them able to understand everything. And we then follow on with what we did in our last study, where they continue to spread the word of Lazarus' resurrection, which was the event before the entry into Jerusalem on a donkey and we talked about the fact that many people came to see Jesus because of this sign and the Pharisees and the leaders grumbled again that they weren't making any headway in stopping people from following Jesus and so they were plotting against him and we're going to pick it up at John 12:20 now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival now this is very unusual why were Greeks going to worship at a Jewish festival. These were uncircumcised. These were not descendants of Abraham. They would be what was uh, the New Testament calls God-fearers, those who had come to value and respect Yahweh. And perhaps I, we sometimes imagine that the intention of God was to choose one nation for himself for the benefit of that one nation. But the reality is that the whole of the Old Testament is driving towards the people of God being a, a pathway And a messenger and a blessing to the whole world, to all nations. And so they were looking, God was looking for the worship of the people of Judah to be um, welcoming and to draw others. So this is a great moment. The Greeks have come to worship. And they come to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So this is, again, I think, significant because John wants us to know about this. Because they don't actually get to meet Jesus, as we'll see in a moment. But he wants us to know that they asked. He wants us to know that there were people who were not... Uh, from the the, the line of of David, from the line of Abraham. There were not people who were, uh, sometimes we might imagine were in the inn, but they were looking to see Jesus, people from the outside, not just the chosen people. And that helps us to understand that, of course, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, chosenness was always about a role, never about salvation. God chooses people to do things. He chooses the twelve. He chooses a nation to be a blessing to the other nations. It's not uh, when the Bible uses the word choice. It's not uh, normally or, or at all about salvation. It's about a role, a job, a task. God has chosen us for different things. Anyway, these people, the Greeks, want to meet Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. So there's some guys from the outside who want to meet Jesus. And Jesus replies in a strange way. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Son of Man is the way he often referred to himself, meaning he was a man. Son of means of that species, and he's the human being. Just the son of God means he's the God. Jesus says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. The wonder, the majesty, the awe of Jesus, the splendor, the, 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 the rightly um, impressive reputation of Jesus is to be revealed to others. And he's saying now is the time. So what was going to glorify Jesus? What was going to make everybody go, how fantastic and incredible is Jesus? What was going to take everybody's breath away and go, Jesus, what was it that was going to cause people to kneel before him and worship him? And why does he say the hour has come now? Well, let's look at that first question uh, that last question first. Jesus was drawing uh, himself a followers from outside. I think there's a the significance between John telling us that the Greeks want to see Jesus, and Jesus saying, "Now is the time." So I think there is an element of him saying, "Right now, the word from uh, of life." Remember, that John's gospel has begun by Jesus calling himself the Word. In the beginning was the Word. That Word is now going out to all nations. And that's important. And therefore, perhaps the disciples were ready to take it on. They were ready now to, they had three years with Jesus and they were ready to teach the world. They were ready to go out to the nations. And I may be overcooking this, but I think there is a symbolism in the Greeks want to know Jesus and Jesus says, okay, we're ready. Let's push the final button. Let's go for it. We're ready to go. The disciples were ready to take the message of Jesus out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, to Samaria and everywhere. So what was going to glorify Jesus? What great battle was he going to win? What incredible, uh, powerful display of his glory were they to see? Well, the next verse gives us a strange uh, idea. Jesus continues, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It is the death and resurrection, the seed dying and the seed producing life that is the glorifying of Jesus. So I want to dig down into that a little deeper and suggest uh, some things. The glory of Jesus is firstly that he conquers death. He dies as a seed, but out of the seed comes a new plant, a new life. And so Jesus is pointing to his resurrection as well as his death. But it's important to hold the two together. It's not that the resurrection is the glorification of Jesus, nor is it that the cross is the glorification. It is the death and resurrection. And I think it's important to hold those two things together. His glory is the conquering of death, not of specific enemies. It's not the conquering of Rome. It's not the conquering of sinners. It's not the driving out of uh, those who are greedy or corrupt or immoral or ungodly. The conquering is the conquering of death. His glory is that death could not hold him. His glory is that he rose from the dead. But it's more than that. His glory is that salvation is one. His death produces something. It produces many seeds. It is producing something in other people. It is giving life, new life, to other folks. So the glory of Jesus is that he has won, enabled, delivered salvation for mankind. That human beings need not die, but can rise again and live for in eternity with Jesus. The glory of Jesus is that He's come to save. It is not that he's come to deliver judgment. The glory of Jesus is not the punishing of sin. The glory of Jesus is not the anger vented on the sinful. It is not Sodom and Gomorrah. The glory of Jesus is salvation. The glory of Jesus is the rescuing, the redeeming, the calling out of darkness, the bringing of new life. And thirdly... The glory of Jesus is seen in this seed that chooses to fall and die. The glory of Jesus is seen in the meaning of his death, the incredible love that is demonstrated, the love of God that is visible. It is God reaching out and taking our place, taking the scorn, taking the rejection, taking the pain, taking death because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. It's, it's the glory of Jesus is this uni- uh, um cosmic demonstration of God's love. How do I know God loves me? How do I know God wants me in his kingdom? How do I know God is willing to forgive me? How do I know God wants me to be in eternity? Because Jesus came and suffered at the hands of those he had created. He came and suffered in my place because he loves. There's no other explanation. It's not a duty. It's not a fun game for him. It's done because he loves us. And so the glory of Jesus is his love demonstrated rather than submission demanded. He isn't coming to earth requiring people to bow down before him and worship him. He isn't coming to earth and forcing and coercing people to do what he says. He's coming in gentleness and love and offering himself. John tells us in his letters, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And the glory of Jesus is this way of dying. This gentle um, man who turns the other cheek, who says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This God made man who models forgiveness and demonstrates to us a completely different way of living. And this is his glory. It is his meekness. It is his gentleness. It is his compassion and his steadfast commitment to mankind, that is his glory. And all of that results in this idea that the glorification of Jesus, the time when he's glorified, is the death and resurrection that produces many seeds. Death by, uh, on its own has no meaning unless it produces something. And Jesus' glory is that he's saving and that he's producing new life in others. And I find it interesting that it says many seeds. And there may well be people in heaven who didn't comply and conform to all the strict things that we think. Jesus has come to save as many as is possible. He has to save because the alternative is real. Not everyone will go to heaven, so we need saving. But it's many from all nations. And that's where I think there's this link with the the, the idea of the Greeks coming. He's wanting to say, this is for all. This isn't just for a few select, elected, chosen people. This is an offer for all. And this is the glory of Jesus that He's come and died for us. I'm just gonna give you a quick glimpse of the next verse for next time because verse 25 says, those who love their life, Jesus continuing, will lose it. While those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does that mean? Well, we'll look at that next week. But here are reflections to consider and to pray over. What aspect of Jesus' glory is most meaningful meaningful for us at this time? Is it death conquered? Is it salvation won? Is it sacrificial love demonstrated? Is it forgiveness and humility modeled? What is it that we go, wow, Jesus, you take my breath away? That is awe-inspiring. And how might we give thanks in these moments? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your glory is not the defeat of others, Your glory is your sacrifice, your salvation, your redemption, your cleansing, your offer of new life. And that in your resurrection, there is the evidence and the proof and you are glorified. And we give you thanks and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.